Hello and welcome to Movie Go Round, a film discussion podcast that rotates between different themes every single week on a five-week schedule. This week's theme is New to Two. Hello, everybody. My name is Brett Stewart, and we are at the beginning of another movie go round, go about of the the go around, I suppose, because we are at new to two, which means that it's the opportunity for someone to pick a movie that the other two hosts haven't seen. That's right. There's three of us. David Luzader, how are you? I'm doing well. Happy to be here, etc. Very good. <laughs> and Nicole, Nicole Davis, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, uh, but I need to make sure that I get in before curfew or I'm going to be marked down as dead. <laughs> yeah, I, man, I don't live that far from the events of this movie where they take place, so uh, that'll be interesting to talk about as well. Uh, we watched 2019's Captive State. It was a pick from Nicole before we introduced that show, or that film rather, and uh, get Nicole's reasoning for bringing it to the panel as a new to two. Myself and David have never seen it before. I do want to announce next week's movie, and it is going to be 2002's Equilibrium. That is a Netflix roulette pick. So we literally spin a wheel, it spits something out, and that's what we got. And I've never seen it, but you guys have. Yeah, it's going to be rad. It has one of the most unintentionally funny scenes with a puppy that I think I've ever seen. (laughs) Yes. Alrighty, I'm excited. Equilibrium next week. But this week we watched 2019's Captive State, set in a Chicago neighborhood nearly a decade after an occupation by an extraterrestrial force. This sci-fi thriller offers reasonably diverting alien invasion action with ambitious political undertones. Nicole, why did you pick Captive State uh, and how did you see this movie? Because no one else did. (laughs) I know. I know they bungled the marketing of this movie so hard because I had not even heard of this movie. And I I keep my ear to the ground when it comes to what's upcoming in film. And uh, I saw a poster about a week before it was released. And it's, you know, this cloud of red gas with... um, Actor Ashton Sanders standing in front of it in his signature uh, orange hoodie and gray, uh, green army jacket. Um, and I was like, oh, oh, what is this? What is and I, I gleaned that like there were aliens involved. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, let's go see this. You know, heard nothing about it, knew nothing about it. So I went in with no expectations whatsoever. Um, I was not blown away but pleasantly surprised and uh, found myself unexpectedly emotional at the ending of this movie and not quite sure why and it just this this film just stuck with me I kept thinking about it over and over again for weeks afterward and wanted to talk about it with somebody and as I usually do when I want to talk about things with somebody, I go look for one of my many movie podcasts uh, <laughs> to see if anyone has talked about it. And 
nobody had. I had to go find a podcast that I had never listened to before and never listened to again to get uh, an episode where they actually discussed it. So I wanted to bring it to you guys because I couldn't wait anymore. I've been trying to be good and like bring in older movies and, <laughs> you know, not stick to things that all came out in the new millennium. Um, but I couldn't help myself. I really wanted to talk about this and it's been about a year since this movie came out. So I thought it would be a good time. All right. We're going to corner the market on the SEO. So only people like you that were trying to find podcasts talking about this will find this. It's going to be great. Um, I was surprised <laughs> I hadn't heard of this. Uh, I mean, I remember the the poster. The poster is very striking uh, with the red gas, but I didn't hear a ton about this, which surprised me because it it's, takes place in Chicago, where I live, and was filmed here. Uh, it's not one of those things where it's, you know, downtown New York filmed in Cleveland. They filmed it in the Pilsen neighborhood and largely not downtown, which is maybe why it kind of fell off the radar. Because typically, if something's being filmed downtown, I see it, or at least my traffic and commute is delayed by it. So, um, they did but really that didn't happen with at, this. Um, no, they did. They did really shoot. There's a there's a long sequence in the middle with uh, Soldier Field, and they did really shoot at Soldier Field for about a week in overnights. Interesting. Oh, that must have been such a nightmare for like short drive traffic right by Soldier Field. <laughs> um, I'll have to. We're we're gonna come back around to that because I have some thoughts on that scene because that was a really interesting one. Uh, David, did you remember seeing anything about this movie last year? Never heard of it. Not okay. a single thing. Because uh, that's Nicole. You mentioned they kind of bungled the the marketing of this movie, but for the critics yeah. that did see it, having now seen it myself, I, I would argue that they were kind of unfair to this movie. Are as you they said, though. Okay. Oh, interesting. <laughs> is it as is it? Th there are worse movies that got fourteen percent on Rotten Tomatoes than this movie. Let me tell you. Wait, this, I thought this movie got like forty four percent. Was it fourteen? Or maybe no, it was, was forty four. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so that's not terrible. Uh, I don't know where I got 14 from. But the critics, by and large, seem to not like this. It didn't make back its budget, not even half of its not budget. Not close, no. For a $25 million movie, it, it made $8 million at the box office. Right, so not, not even half. Yeah. And I'm struggling yeah. <laughs> to totally find out why. Is it because there's a lack of star power? Because there's worse movies no. than this that do well. No. Be <laughs> um. Because it's boring. I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. It th This movie offers a lot of promise and never delivers on it. <laughs> Interesting. You know, I'm not going to be too mad. Like I, like I said <laughs> last week, this was, a, this was a movie where I was not... Um, I was not expecting both of you to really like it or maybe even either of you to like it. Um, and, and when this started, when this movie started, I was like, oh, this seems like something I would like. Like I was I was in to enjoy this. I just uh, ended up by the end being pretty blase about it. This this movie has a lot of interesting concepts and ideas and mm -hmm. pieces in it. And I would say that it doesn't quite all come together. I would agree with on that <laughs> very much. So this but is a for film. For me, it was enough that it, it carried me. The pieces that were there were enough to 
draw me in and and keep me interested to the end. Now, the director, uh, Rupert Wyatt, who most notably did the middle of the three Planet of the Apes movies, or maybe no, the third first, one. the Planet of the Apes. The first, first one. one. <laughs> the Dawn of or the Rise of? Chance to get that rise of. It's the Rise of. Rise of yes. Planet of the Apes, yeah. Because then the next one is Dawn, which is totally out of sequence. No, you, okay. you know he did Rise of Planet of the Apes because the uh, the end credits are almost exactly the same. <laughs> oh, so oh just, you're totally right. To bring me back, is that is that the James Franco one? Yes. Yes. Okay. Caesar is home. Oh, so it was well, with Draco Malfoy. Okay. Um, <laughs> but that was his. That was probably his most notable entry in his filmography. I would say um, when I glanced over it, uh, mm. and he refers to this movie as quote uh, quote unquote narrative driven. We follow a thread of events rather than following a character's development. Is this a negative for the film, or is it just a different way to tell a story? A question from Nicole. I definitely felt that because it was probably three-fourths through the movie before I fully understood uh, Gabriel as a character, because they never really flesh him out at all. No, um, that's... And that's a shame, be because bad. I think Ashton Sanders is a wonderful actor, and, and he could have done a lot more with this, and he, they just don't really give him the opportunity. Uh, but I, all, there's almost a section of the movie where he's off doing his thing and then there's this resistance doing their thing. And it's almost like it's two entirely different plots happening at the same time. And I'm not totally sure how they're supposed to connect. Yeah, right. No, d- definitely. It is a movie where it's like we are following Gabriel for a while. And then for a good chunk of the movie, we are not following Gabriel. We are following a bunch of characters whose names we never get. Uh, until the end of the movie when it's being wrapped up we're being told who these people are and it's like that would have been nice information to have when i was watching them uh yeah in my notes it's like the hacker the mechanic the right club the doctor guy. yeah, yeah. <laughs> this this the, i've said this on this show before and i'm gonna i'm gonna say it right here again um this movie makes the faux pas of assuming i care what happens because it takes place <laughs> on earth uh, the <laughs> Earth is incidental to this plot. This could have taken place on a Mars colony and the plot could have been the exact same. Uh, but it thinks because, like, I'm on Earth, I'm going to want these humans to win. And it's like, I don't really know who these people are. And to your point in our show docket, the movie, at least in your in your view, does more showing than telling. Uh, no, it does more telling. No, I'm sorry, than more telling than showing. And, yeah. and there there is an element, I mean, to, again, again, to your point, the ending of this movie is literally a montage of uh, John Goodman's character telling you who all now, the characters were. And, and I will say, this movie, when it starts out, you know, a really interesting, intense sequence of this couple trying to escape Chicago, and, so, you know, something is happening. You, you pick up pretty quick. There's been an alien invasion, uh, but this family, for some reason, is not going along with it. Uh, super into that. The, they get, ex- spoiler alert for the first 10 minutes of the movie, they get exploded. Uh, and Vaporized, then like this, I would yeah, say. Yeah, in front of their children, who the aliens Oof. for some reason leave alive. That's very unclear as to why. Uh, and then like it cuts and like we're seeing the humans in the slums. I'm like, oh, cool. We're going to spend some time like seeing what life is like in this alien, but not really because it pretty quickly goes into like, now the resistance is going to fight back. It's like, oh, I don't care about that. 
I don't know who the resistance people are. Right. So, so I really do want to drill down here to the basis of Nicole's question, which is, you know, is this a different way to tell a story or is it a negative for the film? And I'm trying to think of other films that have done something similar where it focuses more on the events and following them chronologically than it does individual character development. Um, and Second I think that that can Titanic. be done well. <laughs> I think that can be done well. I, I don't know if this is totally it. Um, but I'm not opposed to the jumping around of having three or four different storylines and, you know, riding oh. through this I, this story. I imagine this all happens over the course of like a day or two. Um, I'm cool with that. Yes. I just, I wanted yeah. more background to these characters. You can still do that without uh, foregoing character development. No, I, I, absolutely. If, if we had connected with any of these people and gotten to care about them, I think it would have uh, been entirely different. I don't, what do you think, Nicole? No. Yeah, I mean, I I can agree with that. I mean, this is a this is a movie where, um, I think it could have stood, even though it was, I'm sure, felt a little long for David. I think it's like an hour and ten minutes. Uh, if it's it had been like it's other, almost two hours long. Oh, is it really? Okay, it's, yeah, it's an so, hour and forty nine minutes. Okay, so if it had been like another ten or fifteen minutes longer, and just spent that time telling us who these characters are and giving us reasons to like them and care about them. Um, that would have been helpful in getting people engaged. And then when you're more engaged and you care about the characters, you don't care as much about the running time. Yeah. Do you guys want to hear probably my uh, dumbest nitpick with the film? <laughs> this is, Please. This sure. is a nitpick. Oh. Let's get it out of the way. <laughs> uh, when, um, I want to make sure I have the characters' names because I, I, I'm not sure. When Rafi calls Gabriel twice in this movie, baby brother. Nobody refers to their siblings as baby brother. <laughs> Especially as adults. I it's definitely a screenwriting thing, the... right? Like, like it, it looked yeah. okay on paper. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I'm, I'm wondering if, me, you know... So... I chalked, when I was watching it, I was like, maybe that's an African American thing that I'm not privy uh, to. That I, I mean, yeah, I can't, I can't. I, can't I agree. It's it's not something that at least it's not something that white people in the northern half of America do. You know, that could be a southern thing as well. It could be not, not the greatest writing. Uh, Western. I don't and, know. It's when you have to. <laughs> I don't know. I just I have yet to meet anybody uh, who is like. Ah, uh, hello, sister. It's so nice to see you. Uh, <laughs> she has a name. No, <laughs> I know it was. It was not necessary. I mean, they literally go past a picture of the guy, and Machine Gun Kelly says, "Wow, your brother's a legend, man." Oh yeah, <laughs> can we talk about that? Machine Gun Kelly's in this movie for some Machine reason. Machine Gun Kelly is in and this is, movie, and is like surprisingly one of the better performances. <laughs> oh, a hundred percent. And apparently, got injured on set. Of course, he did. Uh, he apparently like well like an extra or one of like the police officer extras punched him pretty hard oh no uh, and uh the actor stated that when he complained to a crew member about the incident he was told to quote suck it up <laughs> i i thought for sure you were gonna tell me machine gun kelly did something stupid <laughs> you thought um, oh no you thought like he, like, he like face dived off yeah. the staircase. <laughs> um no he's i mean he's he's not in the movie long he his, is uh he's, yeah, his he's, character he's, comes off as the sort of guy who would <laughs> hurt right, himself right stupid right he he's gabriel's um uh partner <laughs> in crime literally partner. yeah yeah uh so but he's he's great in the movie uh one of one of the questions i had as long as we're on the thread of 
weird writing in this movie is they try to go through like this. It's almost district 90 in a sense of like this, this brand of science. Yeah, yeah David, <laughs> I, I, was, I was just gonna say, no district nine does. Cause I was thinking while I was watching this movie, like district nine does a better job of what this movie should have done. Where right. at the beginning we spend time, um, getting a sense of what life is like in the, the district nine slum, like the first 10, 15 minutes of the movie is just really kind of, doing some really great world building. Anyway, you were going to say something about district. Nine. No, you're totally right. But I, I think the idea of having these, like these science fiction invasion movies that focus less on the spectacle of invasion, a la war of the worlds or the like, and more on Independence the day. Exactly. And more on the, the human stories that come out of living in an occupation, which is what district nine does so incredibly well. And with this film, it, it tries to do that, but I, I in order for me to care and in order for me to suspend a certain amount of disbelief, I need a little bit more from the aliens. Um, yes. Like, why? For a couple questions. What do they stand to gain by putting humans under martial law? Because typically there's like a reason for that of some sort. They're not just there to be dictators. Um and, and and to that end, why bother having human society function as before using the police department and the government and going through the red tape bureaucracy of talking to humans through their elected officials um, as quote unquote collaborators when you could just be, you know, overlords. It seems like well, you can pretty them. much destroy anybody you want to. You're clearly much more powerful than any human or anything that humans can build. Um, so what what is the point? And I think that, and, and I and I understand like that's secondary to the idea of that this is a story of a resistance and people fighting back against their oppressors and and how they would you know interact in that type of situation. But I would have liked a little bit of something like we're calling them the legislators. Why? Like, have they created this whole new <laughs> so much bureaucracy? These guys right? <laughs> really <laughs> Dude, care. They about love laws. their red tape. But like, why are we calling them that? Like, is it because that this right. this this state that they've built not only in Chicago but uh, apparently probably elsewhere throughout the world is run by this new set of rules that they have laid out and legislated. Like I want some of that. I don't get anything. Yeah. That's, that's something where you have to connect those dots yourself and it may or may not be in line with what the director intended. You know, the, his intent was to drop you into the middle of the story and not spend mm -hmm. a whole lot of time fleshing out the backstory. He wanted to get to the resistance fighter story. Yeah. Um, and so you get the montage at the beginning of the movie where in like four minutes they pack in the entire invasion and mild human resistance and surrender and capitulation and collaboration. And, you know, you, you get the whole thing. You get that humans have been, um, you know, drafted as slave labor to build these sort of underground hives for the legislators. Uh, the legislators are mining our planet for natural resources and taking them off planet. You know, that's something this is, I got some stuff just from the commentary, like the mining, the natural resources. He wanted to convey that they use, they're still into fossil fuels and that's why their ships huh. move so ponderously interesting um, but you know it's you know that I, I shouldn't have to bring 
every other movie I've ever seen about the French resistance to bear to this movie to be able to understand what's going on. Put put a line of dialogue in there. You know, they need their, their mining our resources because it powers their ships. Yeah. I'm I'm informed. (laughs) It's something it's, it's one of those things where it's like, they're not using the humans to mine the resources. That seems to be the entire reason that they're here. So uh, just kill them. Like they yeah, don't, they I mean, the conclusion that I drew was that it was easier and more efficient for them to make the humans uh, police themselves, and you know by by getting this collaborative group uh, to keep everyone else down, and that way they didn't have to expend a lot of energy worrying about that. But then and, also, you know, more efficient even than killing them all, perhaps because they'd have to get us all out of the way. But how many of those police <laughs> briefings know. do they have to go to? Because it just seems like they're doing. <laughs> well, all- no, they're legislators. They it love might just it. Be the just- one guy. <laughs> <laughs> There's just the one alien that's in charge of all of like all of the dealing with yeah, humans. Also, I no, just Fred. Yeah. <laughs> Fred's in the order, one guy. <laughs> in order to 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 learn a language that no one else speaks. That, uh, there's got to be some sort of middleman. <laughs> well, and they understood us unless they had a translator on their end that was never because at the end of the movie there's a human translator translating in real time like nuanced conversation between the aliens and john goodman yeah 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 there's and keep in mind that their their conversation is the classic like like that's the type of thing that they do yeah (laughs) they they present some really cool alien designs right off the bat like those alien designs i am here for it Awesome, looking cool, and then we yeah. see them one more time in the whole movie, and I'm very disappointed about that. It's a really cool alien it's design. Like, it's like a porcupine that can like morph into different shapes. That that yeah, doesn't sound as nearly as cool as what it actually looked like. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's based on the on the art of this particular uh, British sculptor named Anthony Gormley, um, who has done like this whole series of sculptures of like people shapes, but that are defined by the spikes surrounding them rather than mm. being built. And then That's the spikes cool. added to them. Um, they are really cool looking. And then the, you know, when the aliens are sort of standing down, it sort of softens into something that looks more like hair. Um, yeah. And it's a cool design, but it's, it's purely budget. The reason that you see so little. Yeah. Oh, no, I know those guys aren't cheap to have on screen and looking good. They didn't want to make a B movie, and I respect that. But it was still a little disappointing. Though we do have, uh, I love the way the aliens look, and then laughed at the way the hunters looked, which is the alien hunters that come for because it's just predators. It's what you mean. You mean the the guys from Stargate that they got for an afternoon. Oh, you're right. That's even better than the predator analogy. Yeah. And what really startled me is this. Yeah, there's this second group of guys called hunters that are brought in that are like the the aliens is uh, mercenary police force that right. they bring in when after the insurgents manage an attack, and uh, they they don't look good. And I was really surprised no. to learn that that's Greg Nicotero's team made those. Yeah, that was a little disappointing. Well, I think he was also, he also helped on like the special effects. So I'm, I think he maybe had hands elsewhere, but maybe they just got him on like a, a weekend during the walking <laughs> dead. And that was, yeah, that was what he slapped together for him. But they look very like seventies robot. They oh, very yes. much do. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
it, it is very much like Predator vibes to me. Um, I think the Predator looks a little bit better. Uh, oh, yeah. But I, I like the concept <laughs> of the hunters. I That would have been cool to have seen them hunt. hunt. <laughs> like, I mean, we kind of get it. Like, like we we get five minutes on scene of of them, you know, picking people out of buses. Um, it would have been cool to actually see them see them hunt. Uh, and and that's another aspect of like the whole, like, not only are they having the humans police themselves, but their own police force is also the mega SWAT team for the existing Chicago PD. And I'm just, again, questioning the motives of these aliens. Why do they need to be underground? Like, that's another item. Like, they had humans dig them giant underground bases, and they need to be down there? Presumably. Uh, it's because of the atmosphere. Yeah. Like, I th- if you notice the people going down to see them had to wear gas masks. I think um, I think the, the cool spiky suit, or the cool spiky thing was a suit that they wore because yes. there was that time where like he, he tore its face off and it was like dying. Yeah. Uh, I think and you're then probably it, and then right. It, That's it a jammed point. its spines into Brent Spiner and made him talk. I might be <laughs> mixing up films. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, in the words of Adam Sandler in the wedding singer, all of this information what? would have been useful to me yesterday. Uh, <laughs> watching this movie. Um, but let, let's let's dig into some of our other discussion topics. I think this is a, probably a little easier one to answer. What was the code on the cigarette and why was it important? That was what the code was that? thingamajig to get them into the police network that the hacker uses. Oh, was that what it was? Mm-hmm. I think so, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so they roll like these n- cigarettes from out, of pri- from out of prison. Gabriel smuggles it out, gets it to Rafi, who he then... Uh, well, first uh, he gets well, it from Kiki Lane, who's on screen for like 10 seconds. Right, yeah, right. I know. <laughs> yeah, well, oh, so I didn't understand. What was, so what, what, what was he going to do with it? Because he wasn't... He didn't know Rafi was alive. He didn't know he was part of the resistance. Him and Machine Gun Kelly were going to take a boat and go get out of there. <laughs> Yeah, they were going to sell it to yeah. the insurgent group, oh. not knowing that that Gabriel had a direct connection to one of them. Right, that, that sure. Rafi was the, the head of the insurgent group. I'm not sure why um, you guys keep saying Rafi. <laughs> because I not, forget how, how it's pronounced. pronounced? It's, it's Rafe. Rafe? Short okay. Rafe. Because it's I... It's okay. Raphael, but, they, but he calls him Rafe. Because I, okay, I, I, I must have, like I guess, kind of tuned out. Uh, and then I'm, I just read oh, it Oh, I'm totally IMDb. just reading the IMDb. Yeah, that's um, right. So Rafe. Because okay, I only well, remember like I three people's names. Yeah, I apologize to Rafe Fine. We have not talked about John Goodman once. In yeah! This <laughs> so slumming it. And he's slumming the, it. The biggest part in this movie, I would He's argue. the star. It's yeah. kind of like I when mean, watching this movie... Sanders playing Gabriel is a close second, but John yeah. Goodman. Well, is, I mean, from a billing part. standpoint. Yeah. 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 Oh, absolutely. I mean, watch watching this movie with John Goodman is like, wow, this is this is kind of cool, and I and I could also be watching Ten Cloverfield Lane. Um, that yeah, <laughs> I also thought about that. And uh, no, but but in seriousness, uh, he, I, he's great in this movie. Uh, well, he's he, he's the highlight he's of when he's on screen as always with John Goodman. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't know if it's tough to carry it out of some of the more problematic story arcs, but I I like his character. I like that his character is the only one that has a sense of development because we we learn about him navigating this bureaucracy while really being on the inside uh, with the resistance. Right. And uh, that that was cool to me. Like we got something out of that character. Yeah, yeah, he was he was definitely the the one that 
we were given the most with, you know, we see him go and talk to, um, uh, I, Vera, I do not know how to pronounce her last name. Think I Farmiga. Farmiga. Okay. That's what it says. Uh, so Vera Farmiga's character. Conjuring lady. Sure. Uh, and he, he spends time with Gabriel and, you know, seems to have a relationship with all these people. And he's like the only one that's really like, you, you really feel like this guy knows what's going on. I like when we're with him. Because he seems to understand what's happening. Right. Yeah. I, I do like the, the, the bits of the movie the most with him. And we'll get to the end of this movie toward the end of this podcast. Uh, but talking about the insurgent ensemble cast as well, that's something that we spend quite a bit of time with. Following our time with uh, with John Goodman's character and then with Gabriel we then get this group of insurgents and there's gosh, there's, there's the hacker, like, like Nicole said earlier, the hacker, the mechanic, the businessman. Let's talk about their level. Their, their form of communication is so dependent on so many things going correct that (laughs) they have to send a message during when a certain radio DJ is working. uh, When this guy has to, be home listening to the radio <laughs> so we can take his dog near a mechanic shop where someone has to be working right then to see the dog in a field. This is what happens <laughs> when you can't build an insurgence on Facebook. And I guess, yeah, I guess this is right, true. Because yeah. All the aliens have confiscated right. any sort of, uh, you know, interconnected technology. Uh, they don't, they don't even have phones. Yeah. They're destroying right. all the phones. That's what's happening. Right. Yeah, yeah and I mean, like, maybe that is like easiest forms of communication for humanity. That's why they keep showing the top of uh, the Willis Tower. It's supposed to be a giant jamming antenna mm-hmm. on top of the the tower, and that's why humans can't use cell phones or iPads or you know uh, more modern computers. They have to go back to uh, what the director calls mid range technology. Instead of high tech, it's not high tech. It's not super low tech, except for, of course, for the carrier pigeon. Uh, right. It's kind of mid tech. Yep. First Good of all, I'm, surpri- I'm surprised that as someone who hasn't lived in the city for decades, you called it Willis Tower correctly and not Sears Tower, I know. as everyone still calls it. <laughs> Used to be the Sears Tower. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's. I get that part. Like that. That part makes perfect sense to me because that happens with real life democracies or attempts at democracy being snuffed out by a lack of technology. I mean, that was, yeah, that was, you know, that the Arab spring was centered largely around, um, you know, people in, in places like Egypt being able to connect on Facebook groups and, you know, create organized protest and all that through the internet. So that makes sense to me. I get why you would shut that down as the aliens. Um, but with this insurgent cast, there's something really cool about like the whole like, how did they get together? Why are they doing this? Um, why are these the specific people that are doing it? Like like do they each have a purpose? And they no, they don't. Yeah, well, what do they, you mean? no, they don't. Well, they don't. They, like, they like, have... like the business dude could be anybody. The guy that leaves his family and right, the mechanic lady could be anybody because all she does is drive for them. You're saying in the sense of like we don't we don't know who they are as people. They yeah, have, and like I expected, I mean, like because we get a bit of what each of them do day to day, I was expecting it to be relevant to their role in this operation. I gotcha. I like, gotcha. was the mechanic going to do something mechanicy? 
And no, she, she's a getaway she, driver. She drives. She does something car related. <laughs> she can't wear a cross because that'll that'll mark them as targets more, I guess. Right. So organized uh, religion's yeah, also have, been snuffed out. Yeah. Yeah, that that was a um that was a bit of a side plot that got taken out entirely. The the aliens had snuffed out organized religion. That's why one of the insurgents is an ex priest. Um were they? Yeah, the guy who brings like the silver chalice to the woman in exchange for the explosive, mm, um, okay, is a is a former priest. If, Which, uh, first of all, I, but, love... I mean that's there's there's like this whole thing that'll come in when you get to the soldier field sequence where the the thing with the the high schooler the high school band and what they're doing it ties into that. It, well, yeah, because they're well, they still allowed glory hallelujah to be. <laughs> lyrics a rewritten battle yes. of the republic yes uh if, if this movie had been about those few members of the resistance and we had spent time kind of with them individually and it was building up to this mission that you know we find out why it's so important and, and it's possibly suicide like i think i, I would have enjoyed that that would a cool. lot this it was the most interesting part of the movie for me was For watching sure. the insurgency come together and like this elaborate system that they had of, you know, they place a newspaper ad and that makes him go to this office and they go see the hacker who ties into this and this guy flips the kid a coin and the kid go makes, makes a phone call and, <laughs> you know, it's this whole series of events that happens yeah. and they, they don't know each other very well, but they're determined to work together. But they got to work and, together. Yeah, but I mean they do they do it pretty well, you know, they for do. not knowing each other. And it's it's a tremendously diverse group of people, which is not something that you might necessarily see in other movies that have this sort of organizational network. You know, you have people of different colors and different genders and different sexual orientations mm-hmm. and just you know, different abilities. There's a there's a guy who's a wheelchair user. There's, you know, a guy who works in like a trans club. There's all kinds of different. There's a woman mechanic. Oh, my God. You know, it's, like, it's like a twofer, the, you know. It's, in the year of our Lord, 2027. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, I first, I don't know why it tickles me so that the priest, his real name is Guy Van Swearington. That's just such a great name. <laughs> There's no yeah, actually most of the most of the insurgents were local Chicago actors. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, so one thing about the insurgents is that the whole like how they coalesce and, and get together and and pull this 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 plot off and even the even leading up to it like when they're when they're alerted to the fact that now it's time it's time to go get your trackers removed which by the way are real live bugs in your neck Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and there's a kind of a cool subplot there of like this this doctor that has figured out how to pull them out of necks i was i was eating dinner during that part this down for a minute while this plays out and (laughs) right but actually like a really cool subplot inside your neck yeah, well, right, I love because, the whole idea of like attaching it to a rat. Oh, great idea! Like all that was super cool. Yeah. I loved this build up to these guys getting together, getting their bug trackers removed, um, and then getting the Soldier Field, where the plan at Soldier Field um, is to uh, bomb the the uh, aliens by attaching an invisible alien bomb to a politician that's going to meet with them. And there's something that's just kind of anticlimactic about 
the idea that they go through all this trouble, but really all they needed was one guy to just pat him on the back. Like, why did everyone else have to be there? It's a great, <laughs> great question. <laughs> what <laughs> is the point of, of the, of the yeah, fanfare of like that. literally all uh, it is is just, wrong. hey, buddy, and he does that and it goes invisible well, into his back. There's that, but he wouldn't have been able to get close to him if it weren't for the rest of the team because the team had to reroute him. They took the deputy mayor down a different tunnel than he was originally going to go down. So they had to scramble at the last second and like the, the elegant guy had to stop him and be like, you know, it's, it's Dan Drexel, you know, it's good to meet you. And he stalls him until the guy with the bomb can catch up. Yes. Um, ben Daniels character who threw me for a loop because I couldn't figure out where I'd seen him. And he's in Rogue One. Um, well, there's also uh, there's also Cameron from uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off in this movie. I just want to throw that out there. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Alan Ruck is in this there's, movie. There's Alan grown Ruck? Up ben Cameron? Daniels. Grown up Cameron. Ben he's Daniel. the. He's the newspaper like guy. What's Sorry, his name? I just got I just got a tongue. I want Alan to talk Ruck. about Ben Daniels. Well, yeah, he's the newspaper guy. He's the one who that's that. Oh uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's Cameron. Alan Ruck is like, the newspaper yeah. guy. Anyway. Ben Daniels, whom ben Daniels. I had never seen before, I didn't remember from Rogue One, is mm-hmm. the guy who works in the trans club where they where all the insurgents oh, initially yes, that meet guy, up. Yes. And so yep. I am in me just the he gets the best entrance out of anybody. Oh, for sure. You know, this guy in these clicking heels and a corset and false eyelashes and painted nails and a perfectly manicured beard and, you know, this attitude like I have everything under control. And he was, you know, the something I learned from the commentary and was very happy to learn was he was very determined not to be in any way campy in That's this good. role. But He's to not be very, um, you know, controlled and straightforward and, you know, a little bit scared, but really, you know, super determined to get this job done and utterly serious about it. And I'm immediately like, I want to know everything about this person's <laughs> backstory. I want to know everything about this person's life. And we don't get it. But, you know, this is the caliber of some of the actors in this movie where you're just like, oh, who is this? What are they like? Let's see their life. And we don't get any of it. And that is part of the frustrating thing. One of the yeah. frustrating things about this movie. Yeah, yeah There's also Alan Ruck, who is also magnetic. And James Ransone gets a ton of screen time. And we don't get to know anything about him except he's ex-military. And that's it. I know. like that, and That's like the most character development most people get. is just like somebody being like, Semper Fi, right, Sergeant? Well, right. and he's got like this sort of fostering relationship with this kid, you know, who it's mm-hmm. proved he cares about because he sends him away via right. a trick at the last minute. Uh, wait, so, okay. Yeah. I want to, I want to ask about that real quick because he, so the two that they get in the van and they drive away. Right. But then right. don't we see that van parked by the beach? And yes. then like, and then. Uh, oh, uh, no, that's a different van. Oh, who went into the water? Then. The van by the beach is the one that took away the woman who had smuggled the data chip into mm. her mouth to take it okay. out of the facility. Gotcha. And she got quietly pulled out of the crowd with like no muss, no fuss. Yes, and apparently that, that is that's how that kind of thing actually happens in police states. 
Mm-hmm. Is it like nobody looks, everybody keeps oh, going. Yeah. They're just like, don't get involved, don't pay attention, just Mixed. keep walking. If you get so, involved, you're going with. Right, exactly. And they put her in the agricultural services van. <laughs> yeah, I was like, there's nothing agricultural about that. I mean, she might become fertilizer, nope, I guess. No, nope, pretty sure those guys aren't going to go plant any trees. No. <laughs> right. And that's that's a scene where they're walking up to, to Soldier Field. Um, yeah. And, and I wanted to talk a little bit about the Chicago angle of this movie. Um, we've touched on it a little bit. There was no deep dish pizza. There was absolutely no. none. They never bombed Wrigley, and they it was always Soldier Field. Um, yeah. No, but so one thing I, I really liked about this movie was uh, it, it, it did a lot with the city of Chicago that typically is not done in movies. Um, well, first of all, just tiny nitpick. When the getaway driver drives away from Wrigley, I don't know where the hell she's going to be driving to because there is no easy way to get a car out of that. It is on the opposite side of Lakeshore Drive, and she drove to no, the she, museum campus. Yeah, she she drove somewhere that the uh, director really wanted to shoot at because it looked really cool and industrial. Right. She, she drove down <laughs> into uh, the Field Museum's campus. So not the best getaway from Soldier Field. Uh, it's a very difficult stadium to get out of. Uh, but in any case, um, that was awesome to see they really filmed at Soldier Field and that I, I noticed a lot of those locations. But then also, they filmed a ton in the Pilsen neighborhood. Um, and Pilsen, which is kind of, I guess, southwest of downtown Chicago, is, but not too far southwest of No, downtown. not very not it's very you you put in the docket here, Nicole, that it's almost dead center of Chicago. And it's pretty darn close. Unless you're gonna be in the South Loop, um, you're pretty close. It's one of the more central neighborhoods for sure. Um it is the by far the the highest concentration of Latino population in um Chicago. So if you ever want to get like authentic Mexican food, you need to go to Pilsen, just in the same way you need to go hmm. to Chinatown for um, authentic, you know, uh, East Asian food or Devon Avenue for authentic Indian or Pakistani food. Um, so it's a really, really huge cultural hub now. Um, and it's really central to this movie. It's where John Goodman's character has always lived. It's where he's like part of this police force. Um, it's where uh, Gabriel grew up. And it's in complete, like, disarray in the movie. You know, it is, like, kind of within a police state, obviously. Um, But I loved that they filmed, like, throughout the alleys and, like, the nooks and crannies of Pilsen instead of just, like, here's downtown Chicago. Here's the L. Um, Because we get that in every Chicago movie. And they did something different. And that was really cool. Uh, So I like that a lot. I don't know if there's significance for Pilsen being almost dead center. I don't know. I don't know if it was just a metaphorical thing or if that happened to be the location that the director liked where he didn't want the really photogenic parts of Chicago, mm-hmm. or at least not the, the traditionally photogenic parts of Chicago, like the Gold Coast and the Loop and, yeah, you know, the the downtown with all the tall buildings. You get a couple shots of that, but not from the standard angles. With, you know, usually you see the Chicago skyline. It's from Lake Michigan. Um, right. But it's, you know, it's this different perspective on Chicago. And it's in these neighborhoods where I suspect people would be more likely to fight back. Like the the wealthy have more to lose, in t- at least in terms of material things. They have a lot more to lose and I think are less likely to take the risk. Whereas the people who are in these little 
poor neighborhoods are just like, what the hell? Why not? You know, life's already miserable here. Let's give it a shot and see if we can't do something to get rid of these guys. Yeah, Pilsen has um, like a very industrial part of it. Like, like it ha- it even has like the Pilsen Industrial Corridor, which is like this large you know area of highways and rail lines and a lot of manufacturing and stuff. Um, so I think that makes a ton of sense to your point that like this is not your traditional Chicago setting. Um, one thing I thought was funny, and I'll tie it into something more serious, was they they talk about Wicker Park a ton in this movie as the you know ground zero of what happened when there was an insurgency and they leveled the entire neighborhood. Um, I found it kind of funny because when they go to Wicker Park in the movie and it's just kind of a leveled neighborhood, you can see the Chicago skyline really far in the background and it's way farther than it should be. <laughs> Wicker Park is pretty <laughs> close to downtown. Just a couple stops on the blue line northwest. Um, that nitpick aside, um, I read a bunch of interesting think pieces, both in the Chicago Reader and the Sun-Times here in Chicago, about how this movie was almost an interesting take on gentrification because um, Wicker Park has been uh, under a series of, you know, of, of gentrification for a very long period of time. Uh, it's changed rapidly. It's, it's lost in, in a lot of people's opinions. It's lost a lot of its um, cultural roots and um, it's, it's, it's the most hipster neighborhood in the city. It's very <laughs> on trend. Um, and there's something about like the, the 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 culture and the original state of the neighborhood getting leveled in this that feels like there's a parallel there and then similarly pilsen's now being impacted actively by the same thing that's a, that's a thing happening right now in pilsen um and it's about to happen to pilsen again in this movie um so kind of an interesting parallel there um and for context i will say that the double door one of the most wonderful chicago music venues of long standing uh, in Wicker Park was replaced last year by a Yeti store, uh, like the coolers. Uh, so that is like, <laughs> so if that is not gentrification, I don't know what is. Um, so yeah, I thought there's something there. Like I, I could see where these two publications were coming from. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's it's taking down, you know, and I think that's part of why you don't see much of the skyline in this. I think the assumption is that the aliens you know, destroyed a good bit of it um, during the invasion. Like Wicker Park, that, where they go in the movie, you know, overlooks this. You can see in the distance this giant pile, which presumably mm-hmm. is kind of, you know, the top of the hive where you start going down. uh to go to go see the legislators um but yeah yeah i mean this is you know and it's a big thing that's going on across the country there's you know a lot of neighborhoods in and around boston that are getting all the people who used to live there now can't afford to live there and it's all being redeveloped and they're being you know pushed out by very expensive apartment towers and uh, it's it's depressing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and I think there's something so like about only the wealthy have a good time of it in these neighborhoods now, and yeah, I think that's part of what this movie is saying. You know, only the wealthy are going to have a a decent well, time of it in this kind of scenario. It's interesting because if you look at the scene where everyone is fleeing Soldier Field after the bomb has gone off, it, it shows the drones that the aliens use to 
survey surveil all the humans and whenever they zone in on someone's face it shows their residence and their race and all that sort of thing um and all the residences of the people escaping it are uh, like gold coast lincoln park a couple others that are like very affluent neighborhoods and i thought that even was interesting that they chose to show the like yeah you know the the the, the chumps that are well, going to this invited. unity rally that were invited yeah. to this are not the people that are living in places like pilsen um they people the, live in the gold the coast. thousands lucky enough to have been invited right um so there, there's something there that they're playing with with chicago neighborhoods and i think there's a very i think there's a purpose that they picked wicker park and pilsen and i like that i don't know if it's explored enough but i like that as as a uh, chicagoan um quick aside what happened to michigan because at one point, Machine Gun Kelly's like, we can't go across the water. There's nothing there. I'm like, there's Michigan. Well, I think, I think what happened? It's, it's what will naturally happen to Michigan by 2027. Uh, oh, no. Which is just, I mean, look, man, Detroit. I don't know what else to tell you. But that, that, that part's yeah, like Detroit's nice like shoreline. Much further north than that. But right. <laughs> I, under- been, I understand we're suspending a lot of, of disbelief. I just thought that was funny. He's like, I, we can't go over there. It's out of the closed zone and there's nothing there. I think the the impression that they meant to give was that the um the human government had been broken down there, but the alien government hadn't moved in to replace it there, so it was sort of a lawless area. Um, There's so many. Wait, wait, are you telling me to be made here? Are you telling me that in the universe of this movie, uh, that Michigan has become Deadwood? Because now I'm back in. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I've never. I've never seen Deadwood. It's it. No, it's the. It's like one of the last unincorporated to- territories, and there's a whole plot about no. bringing law to Deadwood. It's Timothy no, Oliphant and is, Ian yeah. McShane are great. There's some dude who swears a lot and actually has the word swearing in his name. So yeah, and uh, Garrett <laughs> Dillahunt plays two separate characters, I believe. Uh, okay. Yeah. One is and enough. Yeah. You know. Well, I think one dies, and they're like, "It's Garrett Dillahunt. Get him back." <laughs> uh, so, so Rob Simonson is the composer that worked on this film, uh, and I had to look him up, but he's done a hell of a lot. Uh, everything from he's done a lot, but nothing that stood out to me as being extraordinary well, but something about this score really stuck with it me. was a it was a very good score i'll mm-hmm. back up on that yeah i absolutely uh, agree i mean he did life of pi which is is an amazing score um yeah <laughs> Nicole, I'm looking at Nicole it's like, not one that, like eh. it's not one that I remember terribly. No, well. no, no. It's certainly not not quite as memorable. No, it's a really good score, and that's why I think that there's a lot of really interesting pieces to a puzzle in this movie. Where there's a great score, they have a great locale. Uh, they've not made the mistake of going outside of their means by overextending in their effects. Um, there's good actors. Great actors. Uh, yeah, they there's all the right pieces. And I, I just don't think it, they figured how to gel them together. And I think his well, score is it, one of those right pieces. It, it's, it's. I think it's the script. It's, it's. It fell up. I don't want to say fell apart, but it's like where it's lacking the most is in the writing, because it is well shot. It's competently made. It, it just if yeah. if there had been tweaks, it would have been a much more compelling movie. 
Yeah, I think the director really wanted like a mini series, you know, like eight episodes yeah. on Netflix or something. Um, God, and this from would be what so I understand, great I mean, is that? From what I understand, this this has been a series. It's not one that I've seen, but I'm told that Colony has a very oh, similar premise. I've never seen Colony. Start off, it's the same sort of scenario, but it's much more character driven. Um. But because I was watching this movie and, you know, they get to the part with the insurgents and I'm like, wow, this is really fascinating. This would make an amazing TV show. But as a movie, it's just it's it's too tight. There are too many connecting threads that have been taken out and things that explain other things in the movie, you know, like certain lines in the movie. Like at one point, Machine Gun Kelly's talking to gabriel and say there are people out there jonesing for what we got man and apparently they had a like a black market trade in stolen data chips and that's where they were making their money oh um but you never find that out yeah that's interesting (laughs) that's why gabriel had a job in the data chip facility or you know that's where they got the idea for the business was because he had that job or something you know one or the other um and then the bit at soldier field where you know, there's this spectacle where, you know, this high school band does a reenactment of first contact. And um, there was uh, an idea during the writing process. There was going to be this like religious cult almost that had sprung up around this first mm. contact meeting uh, called the Acolytes. And of course, it, you know, it benefits the occupier and replaces the organized religion that they've stomped out. So that's why there's, this is so central to the opening of their unity rally Interesting. is having this big number. So, um, yeah, I mean, that would have been int- cool and interesting to learn more about, you know, what was first contact? Like, why would people, you know, build this sort of mythos around it? What do, what's the what's the story they tell people of what first contact was like and what the intent was? Do the you know, bears still play at Soldier Field? <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently the bears didn't do very well that year, which is why they were able to no. shoot at Soldier Field <laughs> at the Ooh. time that they were filming. Um, but you know, there was all these little other explanations. There's a whole series of other things that you learned in the police precinct in the special branch precinct that we never get to see characters that got cut down to nothing db sweeney is in this movie but you would never know it because the only time you see him he's wearing a ski mask uh, so his part was cut almost entirely out of this film um and you know so it's just like there's the all these things that would have worked better in you know a more expansive environment and he tries to make it work here and it can't quite because there's not quite enough it's not it's not fully fleshed out i like the bones that are here and the ideas that are here so i have some affection for this movie but i'm not going to go around telling people that this is a fantastic (laughs) film but I I really enjoy it. I think there's some some really cool stuff here, and it was enough to carry me. And they, God, the ending really got me. So, um, yeah. So, and I guess it might not if you don't feel any emotional attachment to the characters. 
Yeah, not really. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, let's let's talk about that. I mean, well, first of all, we find out that that Kevin Dunn's character, and I, I love Kevin Dunn um, from Veep. Uh, the commissioner has been in on the resistance as well, and that that information would have been helpful yesterday too. Like, show no, me no, why no, he's no, been no, no, in no. on it. Not, oh, I'm sorry, he hasn't been in on the. I'm res- sorry, he's not <laughs> in on it. He accidentally gave a person info. He said something he shouldn't have. Yeah, he gave process. information right. to uh, to Vera Farmiga's character who was supplying the resistance with information. Right. Okay. So he wasn't in on the resistance, but he was like, I would have loved more from him because I I also think he's a great actor. Um, but he gets sent off off world, which is a whole other thing that we don't learn a ton about. That's apparently where you go when you're in trouble. Um, you have to walk down the pier at Lake Michigan, and they send you off in a in a spaceship that looks like a giant mountain. Um interesting design uh but yeah, yeah then, no, I like then, the design yeah yeah it was cool uh, it's, but then, it's supposed to look like an insect hive so. oh, right so uh you know mulligan uh, uh good john goodman's character now promoted to commissioner gets to go down into the underground layers of of the of the aliens and that's when we find out that well we already know that he was part of the resistance but that's when we find out that oh the uh, trojan horse metaphor we've been using the entire movie was literal um and man do they hit you over the head with that and it's very clear very early on at least it was to me they're like oh they're gonna just break into the alien base whatever that is because they keep talking about trojan horses all the time um and he does well, that. they keep talking about getting into the closed zone all the time right but I, 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 I think I'm with Nicole on this. There's this moment where he's going down this shaft that they've built to go down into the wherever the hive is, and his whole body starts being enveloped by the invisible gooey um, bomb that was the same one they used on the attack at Soldier Field. And it just clicks with you. You're like, oh, he's doing this. You know, he's going to blow up that entire hive down there. And there's something really just like poignant about that to me. It was a, it was a great ending. I actually really enjoyed the ending. Well, and I mean, and in the buildup <laughs> to that, they're intercutting with Gabriel watching you right. know, footage. There's the most amazing footage that's ever been shot on a Blackberry. Shot on a, yeah, shot on a Blackberry <laughs> circa, circa 2008, I think. Right. Um, <laughs> but watching his, his own baby shower. And it turns out that a lot of the people from this insurgency were actually people that his parents knew. The, the, the baby shower for the second baby. Yeah. Was it, it is a very big baby shower for a second, for a second baby. baby. That's like, usually you get, you get like your five closest friends for the second one. You know? <laughs> well, but yeah. see, it was, it was a whole neighborhood because he says Pilsen kid. is with you. <laughs> yeah. You know, Pilsen is with you. It's like this whole neighborhood thing. Okay, so yeah. they were just they looked for, they were looking for an excuse to get drunk. Yeah, probably. In the afternoon. It looked like an excuse for yeah. a barbecue. Yeah, okay. No, now I'm back in. Now it works. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, but Nicole, you're right. Like, interspersing that with it gives a little bit of that background on Gabriel that I was looking for, you know, almost a little bit too late, but I'm happy I get it. And uh, I just, I really enjoy the ending of this movie, even if it's hit hit me over the head multiple times throughout the movie hinting that it's going to happen oh yeah I, I and the score it. is building and building and building mm-hmm. as he's approaching the you know the drop point to get into the hive and you just see like little gleams as he passes under the lights that tells you that he's covered with this explosive stuff and then it cuts back to the the footage of the baby shower and you see mulligan like meeting priscilla for the first time meeting the woman who had fed information to the insurgency and you know there's this whole implied love story 
between him and you know Priscilla, who turns out to be number one, you know, of the insurgency. Right. She is the head of it all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> She's the head of the whole shebang. She's the one who who comes up with this plan because she gets all this information from her clients. Um but you know, so it's it's intercutting between you meeting these people for the first time and then, you know, this culmination of their whole uh you know this whole circle of people and that gabriel is known and gabriel's just it's coming to him for the first time what what all has been going on and what people have given up for him and is he going to cross the line between being trying to stay neutral or becoming part of the the resistance you know so it's i found it all very powerful and i got i get kind of emotional at the end of it and just yeah it's a beautiful piece in the score it's beautiful acting from john goodman it's mm -hmm. beautiful acting from ashton sanders and you know if you want to see beautiful acting from ashton sanders you know go go watch moonlight (laughs) Um, he's in the the middle segment of that um so but i'll be looking for him in the future but you know it i liked it it's i think it's a good movie to watch if like you're homesick um, and I'm going to be on the couch for an extended period of time. Uh, it's a movie that rewards like not getting up frequently to pause, you know, tr- to stay as involved in the story as you can. Um, you know, I saw this in the theater, but it was like me and seven other people. And, you know, <laughs> that was pretty much it. Right. Um, but yeah, it, I like it. I I think it's better than the grades it's got on Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb. Um, there's some very striking imagery of it in there that we didn't even talk about with the um, the collars that block the signal from the bugs and they look very much like slave collars, um, which is extremely vivid imagery on a young black man um, trying to escape through Chicago it's uh you know you don't it's it's vaguely implied i only really understood it in the commentary but the bugs are actual the actual offspring of the organisms that are in the drones they mentioned and they mentioned something they mentioned about that the that drones are maternal yeah. very maternal toward the yes. bugs but i mean that's literal that's, it's not yeah. that they're protective of them it's those are their young that are implanted in huh. our necks right um so, and that's why they get so focused. Uh, but you know, it's I, don't, I can understand why you why you don't like it. You know, it's not the smoothest, most well put together movie. But like I said, there's enough there. I really, I got a lot out of it. Yeah, awesome. I, <laughs> uh, yeah, I have a hard time recommending it. <laughs> um, you know, I guess uh, see at your own discretion if everything we've talked about here sounds like something you'd want to see, go for it. Yeah, that's kind of the that's, not as easy to see. No, it's yeah, it's a little bit difficult. That's kind of the best. That's kind of the best uh, I can give. Yeah, I I, I think I liked it. I, I I really I did enjoy this movie. Um, it's it's not a great movie, but I think even just being a Chicago resident made it that much more fun for me. It's, it was, 
it really tickled me when they're like, oh yeah, Wicker Park. Like just talking about it in hushed tones and you go there and it's like you get off the stop and it's an Urban Outfitters and the, the Yeti store where the double door used to be. Um, so that was fun. Uh, but, it, you know, I really like the imagery. I like the acting. I like the premise and wish I got more out of it. I think we're my prediction is that we're starting to enter another golden era of like limited run television, the likes of um, what we are now seeing with Chernobyl uh, Watchmen is confirmed to just be that one season. Um, we're getting more of those. The last of us was just announced very recently that they're now making on HBO an adaptation of the mm-hmm. game. Um, I, this would have been so great as like eight episodes on HBO. Take me through this resistance take me through this occupation and that would have been really rad. Um, but I, I don't think it's anywhere near as bad as the reviews say it is. Uh, I will say if you want to find it, it's hard to find. I had to yeah. buy it yeah. at a red box for three ninety nine. I got the DVD. It. Yeah. Universal's not doing it any favors by making yeah, usually, this hard to get a hold of. Usually I they try to recoup the, the costs and rentals and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I bought the Blu-ray, which was ten bucks. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> we can go ahead and do that. And I got my free digital code with it, which I gave to David, so he got to Thanks. see it. Thanks, Brett got <laughs> well, it. Now, now I have it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you know, you can you can get it in hard physical media, but I was unable to find it streaming. Yeah, you can but buy keep it. Keep an streaming. eye out for it. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, you can buy it streaming, but you can't mm-hmm. like just rent it for you know three ninety nine. Yeah, absolutely. So, but keep an eye out. Eventually, I'm sure it will make it to Netflix or Amazon Prime or Hulu or something. Yeah, definitely. I I totally think so. Um, also, I just read on the Goofs page, and I don't know why. In one of the <laughs> early shots of the Chicago skyline, the Ryong Hotel was added which is not in Chicago. It's in Pyongyang in North Korea. Oh, yes, yes. Started in 1987, <laughs> still sits unfinished. Why? Uh, maybe because it's unfinished and it looks kind of industrial looking, I'm guessing, because it's, it's from North Korea. It's certainly possible. It could also be just like a little dig. It's like, hey, here's another regime you don't want to be a part of. You know, just look at this hotel here. We're going to do some there. live Googling at the very end of the show. Oh, yeah, that looks a little... <laughs> it wouldn't be podcasting without it. That looks everything it, in North Korea looks very industrial unless it's a monument to you know the great leader. It's it, it it's like it's like if the Luxor was ten times taller and not finished, uh, is what this would look like. <laughs> Giant triangle. All right, I digress. Uh, <laughs> the uh, the uh, captive state. You can hopefully find it somewhere. It was a new to two pick from Nicole. Nicole, thank you for bringing it. Uh, next week is a Netflix roulette where we will be watching Equilibrium. Be sure to follow along yeah. for that. Uh, David, where yeah. can people find you online? I'm going to find me around the internet under the username Davluz. That is D-A-V-L-U-Z. I'm just going to extra plug right here. By the time this comes out, I will be very close to launching a new project. Uh, to hit me one more time. So make sure that you are following me to get the updates on that. Yay. Very exciting. Can't wait. Uh, Nicole Davis, what about you? Uh, you can find me on Letterboxd at Nicole underscore Davis. Very good. You can find me on Twitter at I am Brett Stewart. You can email the show. Hi, H-I at MGRpodcast.com. And while you're at it, 
head on over to mgrpodcast.com. You can get links to all our social media channels. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter, which helps if you're doing uh, You Did This To Us voting. You get notified when it's the opportunity to vote. That whole website's redone. Really excited about it. And lastly, there is a link there if you'd like to rate the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser. We would love for you to do so. Give us some feedback. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, and how we can improve the show and keep growing our wonderful audience. But that'll do it for myself, David, and Nicole. We will see you next week with Equilibrium. Equilibrium.